Why are you pointing at me? I want you to start because I'm setting a timer. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's podcast, today's episode of You'll Die Trying. Number what, Dr. Carroll? This will be episode 29. No. 30. You knew that, didn't you? I did. Why did you say that? So I would correct you and then I would look like a jerk. No, you look smart. No. You're right. You a jerk. Last Why'd you correct me? A couple of podcasts ago, whenever we, we were talking about people listening for the first time, maybe, and I'm over here interrupting <laughs> you. I mean, like, literally, I am the bona fide jerk in this group. I think this is episode 30. Do you know every comedy duo, there's, there's a straight man, which means something different in that context. It means the guy who sets up the joke. And then the other guy, which I don't know what he's called. Comes the spiker? In comes in and, and seals the joke off. Is that what it's called in, in volleyball? A spiker? I don't know. Setter, and, sp- setter and hitter? Yeah. Are you sure? Uh, well, um, no. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure. One, one of our th- girls plays volleyball. And I, you know, do you go You go to the games? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, our whole family goes. I love watching the ref. You know what I'm talking about? They go bonkers. You like that? Yes. They're pointing all these different directions. Hand motions. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing, but it looks really neat. Like they're directing an airplane. Yeah. Have you yeah. seen the movie Airplane? Uh, no. When the guy's out on the tarmac and he's guiding the plane in and a guy comes up and he's like, where's the bathroom? And the guy goes over there. And instead of waving directly in front of him, he's pointing to the left and the plane crashes through the tarmac. (laughs) (laughs) Why is that so funny? Everything about that movie is funny. It just is. It's funny. Yeah, it is. Oh, well, uh, hope you've had your bellies filled with fudge and chocolate cookies and all the things post Christmas. You ladies and gentlemen are entering world of episode 30 of you'll die trying episode 30 thank you everyone for listening yes thank you very much cue jingle I'd like for us to say a kind word about the Batesville Casket Company. Batesville Casket Company. Whenever people are entering into our care at the funeral home, we want to make sure that they are cared for elegantly, reverently by us. Not only by us, but the the products that that we offer, whether it's a, a memorial item such as an urn or a casket for a loved one to, you know, be be viewed in and then laid to rest in. And no other company touches what Batesville offers. Let's be very honest. I mean, from the personalization, uh, just to the quality of worksmanship and the customer service for us directors. Ryan McKee, our our representative. Such is Such a nice guy. He's such a nice guy. Good he, at what he does. And he's a handsome, tall drink of water. And he always has such a, just dressed so nicely. That's so nice. <laughs> he is. He's awesome. Ryan, I appreciate you if you're, if you're listening. Headquartered in Batesville, Indiana, which is one of their four manufacturing plants, Manchester, Tennessee, Vicksburg, Mississippi. And this is fun to say, Chihuahua, Mexico. Chihuahua, that's so cute. Yeah. So a special thanks to Batesville Casket Company for uh, the good people there, Ryan included, who have uh, believed in us and uh, in our podcast and who have so generously sponsored uh, this, the 30th episode. We're really grateful. Thank you. Thank you. And there's a lot to say about Ryan. If we can just start there, Ryan has been coming in for seven years, probably, if not more than that, and just 
even before we were with Batesville or we've been with him for about a year now, he would just come in and just hang out and wanted to be my friend. Yeah. That's pretty cool. How important is relationships in the sales world? I, I don't want to be in the sales world. And yet relationships is everything, right? right? You don't have to be in the sales world when you're in the relationship business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously everybody has, they've, they, they've got product to sell. That's their job. That's how they bring um, food home to their family. But when you have an honest relationship and you have an honest salesperson who believes in the product that they sell and they come to you and they're wanting to know about how you are and how your kid's doing in soccer and how the new baby is. And uh, they are, they're uh, checking in with you as a person more than just as um, someone to, to make a call on, to check a box in the sheet for a quota. It's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, it really is. But I, I, I don't want to be a salesperson because I don't, I mean, it's got to be a hard line to walk. Could you imagine like going into a place, like even a funeral home, could you imagine cold calling a funeral home, essentially walking in the doors? Because we're always, quote unquote, always too busy, which is a stupid word to say busy. Let's talk, we talked about that in a previous podcast, mm-hmm. but funeral directors are always too, quote unquote, busy to talk to anybody other than the families that they're serving, which is so farce. Yeah. And, I, and and I've been one to, to have that mentality too, but it'd be very uh, yeah. hard to call on a funeral home. I think it just, it, uh, yeah, I think it'd be hard to cold call anywhere. I know, I know, uh, reps who, who sell in other uh, industries, pharmaceutical sales reps, uh, medical equipment reps, ag reps. Uh, and you know what? These people, they, they love what they do. And it's incredibly frustrating work sometimes, but they love it. Like a, there's something about them. It's almost like they're built for it. I don't know. It's pretty fantastic, actually. But I'm I'm thankful for the people who do that work because obviously the products that we have in various places where we enjoy them are there because somebody came in and said, you need to give this a shot. Here's the thing. I think you can sell almost anything to anyone if you say there's very no or at least low risk. We will have a built-in reevaluation period. There is a guarantee that if you're not satisfied, you know, you, you have, you get your money back. And um, that whatever happens, just give us a try. If if that's all you do, give it a try. If you believe in your product, I think with those four simple principles, you can move some stuff. You can move some product. I think that's a great point. And I've actually implemented that one time. And I'm going to encourage myself and everyone listening, if there's something that you're offering uh, within the world that you're in business-wise and you're trying to break down a wall to get to someone, you know, the gatekeeper through the gatekeeper to the decision maker, offer something for free. Absolutely. You know, hey, for instance, we're trying to grow our third-party cremation care. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest, cremation is on the rise. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of family-owned homes that do not own their own, cre- own crematory. So how can you simplify their care process and ensure that their loved ones that they trust you with are being cared for? So. We're going in and, and t- doing that ourselves, mm-hmm. saying, hey, we'll, we'll offering give you- Offering your services. We'll to offer our service mm-hmm. at no charge for the first. for the first. Yeah, I think that's great. I think, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this is a way to, to build your platform across all industries, including um, e-commerce and uh, other intellectual properties on the internet to offer content for free. Uh, you know, and I, I kind of think that's, that's what we're doing here. 
Absolutely. You know, we're not interested in 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 uh, making the 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 mighty dollar. We're interested in in being real and authentic, uh, struggling with some things, wrestling with some questions, being comfortable having questions that may not have answers, and offering up whatever wisdom we can conjure and muster from our own experience and education that maybe at least one person can learn something. That's great. Free content. There might come a time when there are other opportunities available. You know, where we we summarize some of the things that we have discussed together. And an ebook or whatever, maybe that will be free. It's all about making sure that people have the best access to the best information. And once you build that kind of relationship, then I think you're uh, you're up and running. You can go places. Let's write a book, like right now. Not right the second now, but we okay. should write a book. All right. How does it start? In the beginning. That's one way to start. Call me Ishmael. That's a good book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think it starts with a question. Hmm. And uh, I think it's a question that has been wrestled with by a lot of people and has never really been satisfactorily answered. And I think the end of the book is it ends the same way. Yeah, with the same question. You know, I, I mentioned to you that I was at, I was uh, reading a book called Why Religion, mm-hmm. and uh, my book group and we met and we discussed it. And you know, my, one of the questions I I posed for our my my friends in the group is, what do you think the author meant? when she asked the question and what do you think her answer to that question is this is a woman elaine pagels she ended up teaching at princeton she went to harvard she had um you know four different disciplines that she wanted to study harvard basically told her we will let you in but we're going to defer you for a year because a lot of women decide that they don't want to be fully committed can you believe this i mean this is ridiculous right this was in i guess it was the 1970s 1960s and so she angrily nonetheless put it off for a year, ended up going back, doing incredibly well, got her PhD. Uh, she had um, written, uh, she began to write a book on uh, on the, the gospels that weren't included in the New Testament canon that we know of today. And of course, it raised a lot of eyebrows and a lot of controversy and it ended up winning. I mean, she's won every major award, the Guggenheim, the Rockefeller and the something else. And uh, she's brilliant. But her six-year-old son died of a lung disease. Her husband died in a mountain climbing accident the next year. Terrible, terrible life story, terrible suffering. And so when you ask why religion in that context, it's like, what, you know, what's the purpose, right? And for her, she kind of rediscovered the beauty of religion in the midst of her suffering. And I, uh, I remembered in reading the book a quotation by uh, Ronye Maria Rilke, who is, I believe, a German poet, who asks basically something like, not every question can be answered, or at least I can't find an answer to every question. And so, to those questions, I basically have to live my life in such a way that the way I live my life becomes an answer to the question. And I think that that's what she did. I think the way she lived her life answered the question, why religion for her? And we all have to answer that question for ourselves. So when we write our book, I think we should pose a question. And the way we live our lives becomes the answer to it. I don't know what the question could be for our book right now. What does 2019 look like? What's your 2019 look like? What are you going to do? What What are you going to do? What would your best year look like? 
Yeah. What are you, yeah, what would my best year look like? So that it's not just 2019 because your best year could be 2019 until the next best year, which is 2020. Right. But what would it look like for us to have our, our best year? Then you have to ask, like, well, what about that arbitrary year? What about that January 1 to December 31st? First. Mm-hmm. 365 days, sometimes shorter. What do, you, what do we think about? Is that a necessary block of time or can we be a little bit more creative maybe not just a year what what would what would your best month what would your best two weeks which used to be called a fortnight but i can't say that now because there's a video game and now we're all yeah. thinking about that or what would your best day look like i think that's how you get to your best year is you cultivate a sense of understanding about what your best day week weekend month quarter would look like and then you've just built yourself your best year yet you just wrote the book what would be a your best day my best day man i used to wake up at six like three months ago (laughs) (laughs) back when you went to sleep so that you could wake up now that you don't even go to sleep now i'm i woke up this morning at 7 36 i had a hospice caregiver award presentation to give at 8.30. So in less than an hour, I had to have Christine bring the plaque to my house. So my best day, it looks like getting up at 6 a.m. arrested, okay. starting the pot of coffee, which by the way, used to make myself. Now Megan is doing that. Mm. Let's just start there. Let's like before noon, let's just say having been up for six hours, that should be like a good best day starter. Okay. Yeah. That'd be really good. Okay. Then what? Then from afternoon? No, no. <laughs> Sleep for another six you, hours. We wake up at six. Yeah, wake up at six. Get the, Keep the routine going. You know, the routine is not bad. It's mm-hmm. just the rush. You know, we've talked about this in early podcasts about like that rush and mm-hmm. not having the routine you're scrambling around. So not having that rush and getting out the door in a timely manner and actually being able to focus a little bit more on the, on the kids and spending a little bit of time with them, yeah. chatting about the morning. That'd be a really good best best day uh getting to work and and once you get to, once i get to work from the eight o'clock until the noon i'm, I'm pretty set i'm good mm-hmm. it's just that night routine going into that first morning is kind of a disaster right now mm-hmm. but you know reminder to all you listening new kid new baby it's kind of thrown everything off kilter a little bit what do we say to the person who loves work so much and going home is hard yeah, I used to be there. Uh, not because I didn't enjoy being home. Let me make that clear. Mm-hmm. For those of you who understand what we're talking about, you're not bad. It's not wrong or right. It just is. Sure. I think what I did is I just made a conscious dec- decision. Uh, you know, you, you got to go home. You mm-hmm. have to take care of your family. <laughs> Work is going to be there for only so long and your family, we've talked about this too, are hopefully going to be there much, much longer and are mm-hmm. so reliant on you and relationships are absolutely wholeheartedly crucial. Yeah. Go home, unplug, be present. It'll be amazing. You'll be amazed at how incredibly blessed you feel for yeah. just being in that moment. And I think if you can craft that inside your routine and that, that becomes routine. 
then you've made space for it and you don't have to be anxious about what you think you should be doing instead of being at home. Right. Because I think a lot of, uh, of professionals, especially younger professionals who might have younger children struggle with how can I be present at home and still do what's expected of me and what I know I need to do at, with work. And then there's this whole bringing work home business and the lines are blurred and you know, you're not, you're not getting paid anymore for that. Most of the time, hourly people, of course, they're not getting paid at home and salaried people aren't getting paid anymore for doing their work from home. What? And there are, of course, times when you can't get it all done during the day, but that should be a, an exception rather than a rule. It shouldn't, I think, be that every single day you have to bring work home. It's like homework from school. Um, there's huge debate about whether homework works. There's, I think Finland is an entire nation that doesn't uh, assign homework because they don't see the value in it. Here, and my understanding of our local systems is that homework isn't so that you can teach yourself how to do new things. It's a way to practice something that you already learned in class. And so, of course, I think class time should be dedicated to that and very little of it at home. But we build into our children's psyches this notion that we're not done when we get home. Now we have to work. Home work, it's called. Interesting. Very confusing. Is it home or is it work? That's interesting. That is. It's like early on we're being taught to bring something something home. We're parts of a machine being kicked out one after the other on a conveyor belt of of, uh, industrialized education. And what Johnny knows should be equal to what Sally knows because Johnny and Sally should be equal just like part A should be equal to part A 2.0. It's because that's the – it comes right after – the, the one another. The difference is these are people, not parts. Right. And Johnny's very different than Sally because of background, education, or a uh, family of origin, uh, environment, health, uh, histor- uh, history of, of health, all kinds of reasons why Johnny and Sally aren't going to be the same. So Johnny and Sally aren't going to know exactly the same things, nor are they going to answer the same questions in the same way unless they're completely objective questions, which of course we know that doesn't really work. So why not do something different. If you're going to teach it the same way, why not assign homework in ways that adapt to people's particular ways of learning? You know, why we don't have to have a whole school that says, oh, let's everybody come and you learn your own way. That's fine. Why don't we, if we're going to assign work outside of class, assign it in a way that speaks to that particular person's personality. And I think within five to seven options, you could get there without a whole lot of extra work on, on teachers. Let's start a school. No. No, that would be so hard. It's terrible. That is the stupidest idea I've ever had in the months of podcasting. Yeah. Yeah, Megan gets on to me sometimes if uh, we're we're at home and I'm with the kids and my phone goes off and it's an email. She's like, can that wait? And I'm like, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, it can. It Mm -hmm. can wait. Phone down. I mean, it's, yeah, just free yourself. Don't don't go home and do work. Don't, um, if you get off work at six o'clock in the evening, you're off work. I mean, if you need to make a phone call on the drive home on the commute, then make the call and then hang up when you get in the driveway. I try to do that. I agree. It's very important. I agree. And if you're going to have to do some work and it's going to have to wait until after you've been fully present for a few hours with family. Yeah. Yeah. The kids need you. Families, they need us. They need us. Nobody on their deathbed ever said, I wish that I had done more work. Of the 53 loved ones that you sat with? Is that 53, right? Mm, Yeah, I think it was 53. Yeah. Hmm. No one said that, did they? Not one. Okay, I'm just making sure. Not one of the top five regrets of the dying. Yeah. I wish I had put in more time at the office. I wish I would have taken that call. 
I used to say that when I was uh, uh, working way too many hours uh, in congregational ministry, uh, I told Joy, you know what, if I could, uh, there was a, a guy that I used to, um, he, he went to the same school that I did all those decades before. He was a, a Scotsman named Peter Marshall. And he came to uh, this country and became a Presbyterian minister, and he ended up serving a church um, near Washington, D.C., New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. And he was like the president of the senators and had a real voice in Washington as a theologian. He ended up uh, dying of a heart attack um, in the pulpit. And I told Joy, I mean, why would I work so hard and waste away my health in doing this or any job when the reality is if I were to die in the pulpit, that people would, you know, send you flowers and say, we're so sorry. And there'd be a supply preacher the next Sunday. So you really do, when you get that satellite view of things, you really do realize what matters and what doesn't. We talked in a previous podcasts about the this idea of the land of the forgotten, the people who are no longer remembered by those who are living. And we're only two generations away from that. Our children and our children's children, for most people, Beyond that, no one knows our name. Everybody is replaceable except to who? Your family. Right. Wow. But when, you're, when you cease to be remembered, you do wonder, what did it mean? And then you ask the question, what does it mean? And there, there's this prayer in the prayer book uh, for the burial, or the committal of someone to the ground, to the mausoleum, um, to their final resting place. And it is basically a prayer of God asking God's blessing on those who die in the Lord and all their fruits of the of their labors follow them. So we won't be remembered unless you're one of the extraordinary ones who makes it onto the pages of you know Time Magazine and and uh, the, your 24-hour cable news networks. Whether you're remembered for good or for ill is up for grabs. But the fruit of our labors can be remembered. Because kindness breeds kindness, which breeds kindness. And that is what could make a difference generations from now. Um, Passionate curiosity, intellectual thought, mission, service, hospitality, that we teach our children who teach their children who teach their children who teach their children. They won't know one iota that it had anything to do with us. But those virtues are passed along. And so we may not be remembered, but only to God. But the fruits of our labors will follow us for generations to come. I find hope in that. Absolutely. Well, you know what I just thought to add to that? And I just, I literally caught myself, but it's so stupid. I'm going to say it like you just said something really cool. And I was getting ready to say my hand smells like an orange because I had one for lunch. Yeah. I mean, that's my shtick. It is. That's your shtick, right? That's my shtick, everyone. He says, he says profound things. I come back with nonsense. Mm -hmm. I think it keeps everything grounded. Do you? No. I was just watching a show yesterday and someone was talking about the person that they were with was earthbound, grounded. And they were saying that like it was a good thing, but it's not a great thing. They said, because you're born one of two ways. Either you're born with your feet on the ground or you're born with wings. Some people are rooted and some people fly. I fly. (laughs) I fly. Really? Yeah. Okay. 
Why do you respond like that? I just think it's interesting to respond with an interrogative and it makes people doubt themselves. (laughs) Really? I don't understand. Yeah, you make me doubt myself. Mm -hmm. When I think of flying, I think of just going. Woo. I mean, I'm not like a, I'm going to move to, you know, Colorado and Finland where there's no homework. Yeah, I'm not going to just up and uproot my family just because I'm not like that fly by the seat of my pants guy. But I think I fly with my ambition. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think I'm grounded or do you think I have wings? I don't know how to answer that because you're going to go, really? No matter what I say. So I'm not answering. I think that you are... Oh, I'm going to answer. I think you have wings. Really? (sighs) See... I think I do too. I think you have wings. I mm-hmm. think you are just, uh, you're not, I think being on the ground is, you're not too safe. Uh, that's true. There was I, a time when I was faux show. I don't think of you as someone that's like too safe. No. That's what I think of when I think of grounded. It's kind of like, hey, I'm okay with the comfort that is, and we're not going to go anymore, like do anything else. I'm, I'm fine with this. And there are people that, that, that has to, they have to be to keep this world the way that it is and to be as beautiful. I, my point is, is yeah. you're a flyer. I, I want to be some of both. I think I want to be able to fly and I think I want to be able to be grounded. Um, because think about it. Things that fly need to be grounded because that's where rest and rejuvenation and food can be found. So I do want that. At the same time, um, I want to, I want to, to, uh, to risk and push and move beyond. There's a wonderful book of prayers by my professor, Walter Brueggemann, who is one of the, well, I would say he's the leading Old Testament scholar in the world. He's still alive, lives in Cincinnati, although he taught me in, at Columbia. And his book of prayers is called Awed to Heaven Rooted in Earth. And awed, A-W-E-D, okay. so full of awe. And I love that idea of being uh, able with wonder and curiosity to to fly, but at the same time, knowing where you belong and knowing where you should always come home to, you know, it's really, really important in my family that my family knows that, that they are my people. My wife is my person. And I always, always, always come home to her and to them, no matter what. So that makes sense. That's, that's Dr. Carol's timer. This episode apparently is now over. Hey, yo, Dr. Carroll, you can take us out. How's that for wings? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm grounding myself. I'm hungry. I need a cheeseburger. I want to encourage... Oh, that sounds that good. That does sound so good. it. First things first, I want to thank our sponsor, Batesville Casket Company. Yes, thank you. Secondly, I want to thank you, our listeners. Thirdly, I want to circle back around and say thanks again to the wonderful teachers and children of College View Middle School, whom we mentioned in a previous podcast, for your hospitality and for taking care of us on a Thursday where you listened and cared about uh, You'll Die Trying. Next, I want to say thank you to our families who have patiently allowed us to be like young schoolboys excited about our podcast and and giving us the time to, to be able to do this together. And finally, I want to say it is absolutely important to us, necessary even to us, that you have at least something that you can take away from uh, our conversations, because I know we do, and I think in in an effort to be hospitable, we would want you to be able to do the same. So, uh, I'm going to offer up one, but Nathan, I want to offer up for you. What is a takeaway for you from today? Today? From this podcast, this episode, episode 30. I think it's important to not take your work home. I think it's important 
to remind me today, for instance, not to go home and, and to work. You know, mm-hmm. with the holidays right behind us, you have all this stuff that you probably could do, I could be doing, but I need to be my be a dad. I need to be a husband. I need to be the best version of myself in that role mm-hmm. because I'm home. That's my takeaway. Yours? I want to be able to live the questions. Mm-hmm. I don't want to seek the easy answer. I want to uh, be able to um, move through this life with curiosity and passion and uh, to never settle and to risk believing that I can do things even though when, even though people have told me that I cannot. And I want to remember that relationships are the secret to all of that. Relationships are success for me, especially my most important ones, my wife, my children, my family, and those with whom I, I share my, my time, my friendships. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, you're loved far more than you'll know. Go live your life or die trying. <laughs>